0: You're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Welcome to today's reading of the Council Buff's Daily Nonpareil for February 15th. I'm Ellie Robinson from Drake University. Here is our first story. The first story we have today is on the news. Truth or assault on trans Islands. The first picture we have here is in the Iowa State Capitol, and it is a variety of people holding signs. Many of them say trans rights, don't give up the fight. One of them is of a Hello Kitty sign, and it says transphobia is so fuzzy. I can't quite see what it says. One of them says end transgenocide. One says we will not go back. One says separate isn't equal. That one's one of the biggest posters that they have. Another one is the colors of the trans flag, which is blue, pink, and white, and they're just uh, horizontal stripes. And it says love thy neighbor includes trans people too. So that is the biggest picture we have here. Uh, it's just right in the middle of the news article, and it's kind of just showing how they're all fighting up for trans rights in Iowa and here locally in Des Moines. This story was written by Tom Barton. The League is at Des Moines Bureau. Chanting again filled and echoed in the halls Monday of the Iowa Capitol for a third straight week as transgender Iowans and civil rights and LGBTQ advocates decried a bill that would define man and women in state law, as well as required changes to birth certificates and government collection of data. House lawmakers held a public hearing Monday evening on government Kim Reynolds' proposals to change on how the state addresses sex and gender identity. Reynolds' bills would define man and women based on persons' sex at birth. House File 2389 was amended in advance last week by Republicans on the House Education Committee. They removed the part of the bill that would have required transgender Iowans to include their sex assigned at birth on their driver's license. Sex change information would still be required on birth certificates. Transgender Iowans call the proposal discriminatory, arguing it, will, it would lead to the erasure of transgender and non-binary people from Iowa Code. House Education Committee Chair Schuyler Wheeler, R. Hol, paused the hearing several times to let noise subside from a large crowd of protesters who packed the hallway outside the committee room and chanted, you will not erase us, along with profanity. More than 100 people were signed up to speak during the hearing, but only 24 were able to talk during the hour-long hearing. Speakers were limited to two minutes each and alternated between those in favor of the bill and those opposed. Reynolds, in a statement last week, called her legislation common sense and said it protects women's spaces and rights. She compared it with a state law passed in 2020 that prohibits transgender girls and women from competing in girls and women's athletics in schools. Supporters said women and men propose unique biological differences and that defining a woman in code has become necessary to protect spaces for women's health, safety, and privacy that are being threatened like domestic violence shelters and rape crisis centers. It is legislation based on biological truth. God created women and man, period, said Denise Bubick, a member of the conservative The Family Leader Church Ambassador Door Network. As a grandmother of a beautiful granddaughter, I want her to grow up in a world where she is clearly defined and protected by her biological sex. Bubeck asserted females are losing safe spaces, while biological men are gaining access in sororities, women's prisons, domestic violence shelters, and rape centers. Women and girls who speak truth on biological differences of male and female are getting silenced and canceled, she said. This must stop. This bill does not curb the rights of others. It simply makes the law recognize the biological differences between the sexes and protects their rights. However, requiring government-run or funded domestic violence shelters and rape crisis centers to treat, tra- to treat transgender women inconsistent with their gender identity would conflict with federal law that prohibits discrimination based on gender identity and put federal funds at risk. And Max Malwood's with the LGBTQ advocacy group, One Iowa, both the Iowa Coalition Against Sexual Assault and Iowa Coalition Against Domestic Violence are registered opposed to the bill. LGBTQ and civil rights advocates said the bill is another broad attack on transgender Iowans, and that its use of pro-segregation language should raise alarm. Reynolds' bill echoes language associated with the 1896 U.S. Supreme Court decision in the case of Plessy-Vergus-Ferguson, which declared segregation on the basis of race to be legal. The governor's bill says the term equal does not mean same or identical, that separate accommodations are not inherently unequal. It mentions prisons, domestic violence shelters, locker rooms, restrooms, and rape crisis centers as places where people may need to be separated based on their sex assigned at birth. Amy Wichendahl, a Hiawathan City Council member who was Iowa's first openly transgender elected official, called the Bill a Full Frontal Assault on the Civil Rights of Transgender Iowans. Wichendahl and and others wore pink triangles, symbolizing those sewn onto the shirts of gay men in concentration camps in Nazi Germany, while transgender Iowans and their allies chanted the Republican lawmakers lawmakers advancing the bill are fascists. It is the first effort by a state government to reinstitute separate but equal since the 1960s, she said and is the most brazen effect by our governor to erase trans and queer people from Iowa. Wichendahl said, In the 17 years since gender identity was added to Iowa's Civil Rights Act, there has been few to no incidents of transgender individuals or men pretending to be transgender or harassing attack or attacking women in domestic in domestic violence shelters, locker rooms, restrooms, and rape crisis centers, or other places where people can be separated based on their sex at birth. I would ask our governor to stop gaslighting Iowa, she said. Brianna Young, a lawyer, said the language in the bill is vague, confusing, and it will lead to unintended consequences. The bill defines a female as a person whose biological reproduction Reproductive system is developed to produce ovaries and a male has a person whose biological reproductive system is developed to fertilize the ovaries of a female. The term woman or girl refers to a male and the term man or boy refers to a male. The section continues, many women have reproductive conditions where their reproductive systems are not developed to produce ovaries. Young told lawmakers, this bill specifically erases you. You are not a woman anymore after this bill, Young said. Intersex people who are born with sex characteristics that do not fall under the male or female, as well as are not explicitly mentioned in the legislation. Bill supporter and Iowa parent Amber Williams quoted a line from the movie Kindergarten Cop. Boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. Today, that truth is being twisted by a gender ideology experiment promoted to our children. This indoctrination has fueled identity confusion and has created a crisis that ignored two sexes are meant by divine design to be different and complementary. Williams echoed Reynolds, stating, We as women should not have to share our safe spaces with a man period, ever. This not only violates our privacy, but also places our safety at risk. Speaker Courtney Collier said that privacy and safety of girls are being disregarded. Collier said people can choose to live in their delusions and confusions in their own lives at home, but the rest of us should not be forced to join them. The bill is eligible for debate and a vote on the House floor. The next article is about bills being allowed contraception without prescription advances. And this is by Aaron Murphy, who is with the League Gazette Des Moines Bureau. A proposal to make birth control available available through a pharmacist without a physician's prescription is once again being considered by law by Iowa lawmakers. Democratic state lawmakers generally, have been supportive of the proposal for years, and Governor Kim Reynolds, a Republican, has been proposing it since her 2018 campaign. Previous legislative att- attempts have been made have been met with varied levels of support from straight- state lawmakers, but never have made it to Reynolds desk for her signature. The tallest hurdle has been in the Republican-led Iowa House, which started the latest legislative attempt, with a subcommittee hearing Monday at the Iowa Capitol. Supporters say the measure would provide better access to contraception for women, thus leading to fewer unplanned pregnancies and a reliance upon government assistance programs. Opponents cited concerns for women's health, especially when a physician is not involved. Republican Devon Wood, a Republican from... Representative Devon Wood, a Republican from Newmarket, heard many of those arguments during Monday's hearing. Wood said she believed that the debate has been good for the legislative process and that it would produce an improved bill. Wood said that she could not make predictions. She is optimistic that this year the proposal will pass the House and ultimately be signed into law. All three members of the subcommittee panel, would fellow Republican, Representative Barb Neef, McCullough of Pella, and Democratic Representative Timmy Brown Powers of Waterloo, signed off on advancing the proposal. House Study Bill 642 on for consideration by the full House Health and Human Services Committee. During testimony, a lobbyist for the Iowa Pharmacy Association told lawmakers that pharmacists are well-educated and equipped to work with a woman on contraception, and a lobbyist for the Iowa Medical Society endorsed the bill saying it strikes the right balance between increasing in access, maintaining oversight. Opponents included representatives of groups opposed to abortion rights, including Pulse Life who called some forms of contraceptive pre-implantation chemical abortion, the Christian conservative organization, the family leader and the Iowa Catholic conference. The next article we're continuing with news and it is about Bill would allow schools to arm train staff. And there is a picture with a police officer and a uh, elementary age to middle school age child with like a backpack wearing school clothes and then a bunch of other kids walking in the hallway behind him and they're walking inside of a school and it's like around a locker bay area um, so it kind of looks like the officer's walking with the child and then a bunch of his classmates are behind him and they're just like walking throughout their school day. And this was written by Tim Barton, Lee Gazette Des Moines Bureau. Iowa House Republican lawmakers advanced a bill through a subcommittee Monday to create a pathway for school districts to arm trained staff. The legislation would also require Iowa's 11 largest school districts among the Council Bluffs to have at least one private security guard or school resource officer in each district high school abraham lincoln and thomas jefferson high schools already have council bluffs police department school resource officers assigned to them the fastest way to respond to a school shooting is to have armed personnel on site trained and available to respond at a moment's notice said representative phil thompson r bone lead sponsor of the bill and chair of the house Public Safety Committee. With this bill, we create a new permit with a strict training regu- regimen that will result in more men and women in school buildings ready to respond and keep students safe, said Thompson, who voted Monday along with Representative Skyler Wheeler Arhol to advance the lead, to advance the bill to full House Public Safety Committee. Wheeler also chairs the House Education Committee. The move comes in the wake of a shooting last month at Perry High School that killed 11-year-old Amar Jolliffe, a 6th grader, and Principal Dan Marburger. Six other people were injured in the shooting. The 17-year-old student, her open fire, died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot. Representative Well. Representative Beth Wessel-Croshell D. Ames voted against the bill, saying students would be less safe. Opponents said an armed teacher was much more likely to shoot a student bystander or be shot by responding law enforcement than to be an effective solution to an active shooter in a school. Russell Croschall noted that the only armed school resource officer at Marjorie Stone Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, failed to confront the school shooter and stayed outside during the February 2018 massacre. Rather, lawmakers should instead pursue an evidence-based intervention plan that addresses school gun violence, Russell Croschall said. Most professional education organizations have rejected the call to arm teachers, as has the National Association of Republican of Resource Officers and the American Bar Association. Employees would be required to undergo a one-time in-person legal training, including training on qualified immunity, annual emergency medical training, and annual com- communication training approved by the Iowa Department of Public Safety. This bill would also require the Department of Public Safety to host an annual live scenario training and quarterly live firearm training for school employees of educational institutions that opt in the program. School staff issued a professional permit to carry weapons by the Department of Public Safety and who are up to date on their training would also be entitled to qualified immunity for criminal or civil liability for all damages incurred cured pursuant of the application of reasonable force at the place of employment. The bill does not specify which type of firearm staff would be allowed to carry, who would supply the firearms to school or staff, or how they would be secured or stored. The Spirit Lake and Cherokee School Districts Re- resigned policies last summer allowing trained staff to carry guns within the school, which Iowa law already allows. To avoid being dropped by their insurance carrier, their attempts to find other insurers failed. District officials cited the 2022 mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvedale, Texas, as one of their reasons for wanting to arm staff. The district's insurance carrier, EMC Insurance Corporation, said it insured districts that provided qualified law enforcement officers and schools, but that coverage did not extend to armed teachers or school staff. Some supporters of the bill said that providing qualified immunity and insulating armed school staff from legal liability would help while others said that insurance issues still needed to be addressed for districts that wish to move forward with selecting, training, and equipping armed staff. Catherine Lucas, a lawyer with the Iowa Department of Public Safety, told lawmakers the agency has a lot of unanswered questions about the bill, like what kind of weapons school staff would be allowed to carry, and who would do the required training for armed school staff. HSB 675 also mandates that school districts with a student population of at least 8,000 are required to have at least one armed private security guard or school resource officer in each district high school. School districts would not receive additional funding to cover the costs but could apply up to 50000 in financial assistance, through a new school security personnel grant program that will be established by the Iowa Department of Education. For districts with a student population of less than 8,000, it would be an optional to have armed security at high schools. And then there's a little subheading that says adding more guns to schools is not going to make me safer. And it's kind of a quote. Democrats and gun safety advocates panned the measure. The more guns that are coming into the equation, the more validity and the more risk there is of someone getting hurt, said Hannah Hayes, a senior at Roosevelt High School in Des Moines, speaking on behalf of Students Demand Action, a a student-led group advocating to end gun violence. Hay said the bill failed to provide adequate training for armed school staff and that its provision of qualified immunity to armed school personnel raised concerns about accountability and oversight. As a student myself, I can tell you that adding more guns to schools is not going to make me feel safer, she said. It takes resources away from actual solutions, such as mental health support, conflict solution programs and other preventable measures and impacts the learning environment by making us feel like we're living in a war zone not at school then there's another subhead subheading that says separate bill boosts security infrastructure parents law enforcement and school superintendents from rural communities as well as gun rights activists, said while school resource officers play an important role in Iowa schools, it is unrealistic to expect a single police officer is always going to be at the right place at just the right time a school tragedy strikes. They noted the Perry Community School District employs a full-time resource officer and said rural districts do not have the same access to fully staffed police or sheriff's departments as those in urban Iowa the people who carrying are in our district love our kids know our kids they're willing to put their lives on the line to protect kids that are not their own Spirit Lake Superintendent David Smith said all I'm asking is to give those people a chance to go home to their families unlike the Perry principle Panora Police Chief Matt Rising, and Superintendents of Panora Community Schools and Interstate 35 Community School District, Terrell voiced similar support for the bill. Separate Legislation House Study Bill 692 aims to bolster school security infrastructure. The bill would require schools to complete a comprehensive review of their safety and emergency response plans and submit the review to law enforcement before the 2024-25 school year. It would force to create a fund to install radios capable of accessing the statewide inter-inter-intolerable communication system in all school buildings that don't currently have them. The radio system helps law enforcement coordinate the response to the shooting at Perry High School. It would implement firearm detection software in three Iowa schools through a pilot program. It would establish a task enforcement to create recommended school safety standards and building code. It would require schools starting in 2026 to meet the school safety standards before using any save funds on athletic facility projects. Our kids and teachers deserve the gold standards when it comes to safety in our schools, said Representative David Young, our van meter who co-sponsored the bill with Representative Carter Norman. Right now, these school safety building standards do not exist, Young said in the statement, but we can fix this and give our students, staff, and parents the safety they deserve. All right, and then our last news article for today is another one about a bill, and this headline is, Iowa Nursing Homes, Bill Proposes Higher Pay, and this one also has a picture, and it is a picture of a variety of people sitting in what looks like an office slash courtroom. They're just on... Like wooden chairs and wooden tables and it's very like yellow lighting. Um, Everyone is facing the camera so it kind of looks like they're all looking towards someone who is talking but we can't see that person who is talking in the picture. This was written by Tom Barton, Lee Gazette, Des Moines Bureau. House Republicans and Senate Democrats introduced their respective legislative legislative proposals Tuesday to ensure safety and support and accountability in nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Iowa Iowa is responsible for 3% of the nation's nursing facilitations and 4.1% of the nation's immediate jeopardy in life-threatening situations, despite accounting for just 1% of the nation's 65-plus population according to federal data. A report by the U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging suggests Iowa has one of the nation's worst ratios of nursing home inspectors to care facilities and that the state's use of private contractors to inspect homes is extraordinarily costly to taxpayers. Under a bill advancing in the House, Iowa's nursing home staff would undergo new training. House Study Bill 691 would require the Department of Inspections, Appeals, and Licensing to conduct training twice a year with inspectors and nursing homes to cover at least three of the 10 most frequent frequent complaints found a year earlier. The department also would be tasked with collecting data and identifying patterns of complaints against nursing facilities. We want to make sure that both entitles are on the same page. The nursing homes and the inspectors, Representative Ann Meyer, Fort Dodger, who chairs the House Health and Human Services Committee, told reporters. So we want to identify the top 10 complaints in the Iowa nursing homes, and we want to make sure that those are addressed in the training. Senate Democrats released a package of legislation hoping to to spur conversations with Republicans and find common ground to improve the care and oversight of Iowa nursing homes and protect seniors from neglect and abuse. These bills would impose more frequent inspections and stricter penalties. Study alternatives to institutional long-term care raise the minimum wage for nursing home workers, and increase the monthly allowance for long-term care residents on Medicaid. Iowa's journalists have put a spotlight on dozens of tragic situations, and the legislature can no longer ignore this. Senator Claire Cecily D. West Des Moines told reporters these stories have just have gripped everyone in the state of Iowa who has read them and sickened them. To be honest with you, the system that we have is clearly broken and it's time to fix it. Nursing home officials have said challenges, including working, worker staff turnover rates and shortages fueled by low wages have impacted patient care. Industry officials say they also felt financial strain from low Medicaid reimbursement that has not kept up up with the rising costs, making it harder to offer competitive wages. According to state data, the average pay for direct care workers in nursing homes was 13 an hour in 2022. Over two dozen of Iowa's more than 400 nursing homes have closed since last June, with with nursing home officials citing difficulties recruiting and keeping staff. Through our research and conversations, it quickly became clear that inadequate direct care staffing levels often lead to resident harm documented in most tragic cases, Cecily said. You're listening to the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for February 15th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service For the blind and print handicapped in Des Moines. I'm Ellie Robinson from Drake University. Iris volunteers love to hear from listeners. If you have any comments or questions about this or any Iris program, please call toll free from anywhere in Iowa at 511-243-6833. Now we are going to be moving on to the obituaries. First, I will be starting off with Ronald Elwin Spence. He passed away on February 10th, 2024. Ronald Elwin Spence was born in 1932 to L. Morrell and Law Spence in Council Bluffs. He married Evelyn Moles on August ninth, 1957. In addition to her, He is survived by his sister Luann McCarthy, brother Lauren Diane Spence, and children Neil Sunning Chow, Elaine Mark Swanson, and Greg Jody. Four grandchildren, Tyra Boyd, Melissa Boyd, Ryan Spence, and Eric Swanson. Seven great-grandchildren and one great-great-grandson. He graduated from Abraham Lincoln High School in Council Bluffs, was an alum of Grant of Graceland College and Iowa State University. While at Graceland, he sang with the concert choir and later with the Omaha Symphonic Chorus. Ron farmed for more than 10 years of, south of Council Bluffs before the family moved into the city. After the children were grown, Ron and Evelyn moved to Lake Manawa. Ron loved living on Lake Manawa. After retiring, he became a bicyclist, riding around the Council Bluffs area and on Regabra, His cycling abilities improved over time, and he eventually finished a complete week across Iowa. He was very proud of this and marvelled at how. It was possible to cycle across Iowa, and how much he learned about the state, and that he lived in, f- that he lived in for a long time. Ron was a lifelong member of the Central Congregation of Community of Christ. Family welcomes fam- family and friends to join them at the Community of Christ on March sixteenth, twenty twenty-four, at eleven a.m for a memorial service celebration of life. In lieu of flowers, memorials are suggested to Community of Christ or the Alzheimer's Association. The next obituary we have here is Margarita R. Snyder, who was alive from July 20th, 1928 through February 12th, 2024. Margarita R. Snyder Age 95, of Omaha, passed away February 12, 2024, at St. Joe Villa in Omaha. Margarita was born July twentieth, 1928, in council bluffs to the late Leonard and Maria de Santiago Nunes. She graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School in 1946. Margarita married Earl H. Snyder on May 15th in in 1954. They were blessed with five children. Margarita worked for Northwestern Bell Telephone Company for 20 years and Mutual of Omaha for five years. She was a member of St. Peter's and Paul Catholic Church. In addition to her parents, Margarita was preceded in death by her husband, Earl H. Snyder in 2004 sister Raymond Maldonado brother Susano Susano Anthony Bloss and Robert Margarita is survived by her children Valerie Peters Anthony Patricia Anna Maria Bill Thomas David Paul Michelle eight grandchildren ten great-grandchildren five great-great-grandchildren sister anastasia warner winolowski nieces and nephews visitation with the family thursday 6 to 8 p.m at cutler O'Neill meyer woodering ballast park chapel funeral funeral service friday 11 a.m at the funeral home interment. St. Joseph Cemetery with a lunch following at the Walnut Hill Reception Center, 1350 E. Pierce St. The family will direct memorial contributions. And then our last obituary for today is Duane Avery Johnston, and he lived from January 17, 1933 to February 14, 2024. Duane Avery-Johnson of Council Bluffs was born to James and Agnes reynolds Johnston on January 17, 1933, in Tinkney, Iowa, and passed away February 14, 2024, in Council Bluffs. Duane had six sisters and five brothers. He married Donna Mae Downing on January 17, 1950, in Winterset, Iowa. Duane and Donna had three sons, Ronald and Robert and Richard. He served in the USAF for over twenty years. After retiring, he attended Barber College in Omaha, New England. He retired twenty-three again, twenty-three later from barbering. Duane was preceded in death by wife Donna sons ronald and robert survived by son richard numerous grandchildren and great-grandchildren service saturday 11 a.m at the mar funeral home visitation starting one hour prior at the 10 a.m private interment at garner township cemetery now we are going to move on to some sports we're going to start locally and then kind of move more to statewide and nationally Falcons dominate to return to the third straight state appearance. Uh, There is a picture included with this one. It's a picture of four high school guys on a bowling team. They're wearing lime green and bright yellow shirts that are stripes. And they're all high-fiving each other. I think they just... I'm assuming that they probably just scored or like had something good happen. Um in their game or i don't know what the phrase is for bowling but they're all high-fiving each other and celebrating and they are in the bowling alley in this picture and in the background you can see uh, some flat screen tv showing the scores of the bowling games going on all right this was written by austin hennon the non-pareil St. Albert has never flown higher as the Falcons earned their third straight trip to the state tournament and had their bowlers claim all four individual state qualifying spots as well. Along with the Falcons clinching their third-ever state tournament appearance, Cole Pinky, Jonah Seckle, Evan White, and Beau Sweet claim their four individual state qualifying spots. Co-coaches Justin Pinky, Mike Klausen, couldn't have asked for a better day. If you're a fan of bowling and truly understand the sport, Colsman said, realize how difficult it is to accomplish this. At any one time, a bowler can get hot, but to have the team get hot like today and stay hot and have the championship and the next five in a row, words cannot describe this feeling. For them to all perform like this and have all that work and practice pay off like this is incredible. Justin Pinky said, "I'm super proud of these kids and it's such a great moment for them and this program." Cole Pinky finished the day with the best score at 758. To return to the individual tournament once again. After finding After finishing as the runner-up to Falcon graduate Adam Denny last season, Penke aims to be back on that stage again, but is more thrilled to know he has three teammates joining him in the tournament this year. I'm at a loss for words, Cole Penke said. This team is so special. This next article is about a girls' high school basketball team. The headline is, "Saints." Smother Tigers to open regionals. This is by Austin Hennan from the Perel. Class 1A number 5 St. Albert had a little bit of everything to go their way to open play in 1A5 on Tuesday night with a 90 to 29 win over Leon and Council Bluffs. The Saints sank a school record 15 three-pointers and 14 players scored in the authoritative win over Lenox, but the defense also helped the Saints to a 17-2 run to open the game, and things took off from there. After our hot start, I told the girls to just enjoy this one, Saints coach Dick Weddingill said. It's contagious when someone like Lily gets a hot start sinking four threes in the first quarter and the other girls want to join in on that fun and get hot too. It was a great evening for us. Lily Crone led the Saints with a 14 point in the first quarter with 14 points in the first quarter and a 29 to four advantage after the opening quarter. From that point onward the Saints momentum just kept rolling on even when they sent out the reserves. It was a great start and it was exactly what we were hoping to do, Krohn said. The threes were definitely falling tonight, which was awesome. Our defense still led some of our offense, and I think that was also a big part of our success tonight. This game was a big booster of our confidence for everyone. Krohn led the Saints with 17 points in the win and sank five of the Saints threes. Ella Klussman helped make sure the Saints picked up where they let off in the third quarter as she single-handedly scored the first 11 points of a 13-0 run. Among those 11 points, the three three-pointers, which gave Klessman the school record for most threes in a season, at 57 on the season, it feels pretty good, but this couldn't happen without my teammates, Klessman said. They're always been, they're, they've always been there at every game, and we all work hard together and it's perfect that we also set the team record for threes made in one night on top of it. Klussman finished with 14 points and sank four threes. The Saints kept their foot on the gas and outscored the Tigers 19-5 in the fourth quarter to cruise away with the regional win. After such a hot start, Weddingell had a lot to be proud of and hopes that his Saints can carry this momentum over to Friday in the regional semifinal game. Our defense is usually what carries us, but we—but when our offense can get cranked up like that, this is when we're pretty dangerous, Weddingle said. You always want to build this confidence right now. This is a good one to build confidence on, and we'll buckle down again tomorrow and get ready for our next opponent. At this point of the year, you don't look past anyone, and you just keep getting ready for the next one. Notably, Molly Wise added nine points for the Saints in the win, and Ava Underwood scored seven. The Saints will play Stanton 7-5 and five, in the Class 1A Region 5 semifinals on Friday at 7 p.m. in Council Bluffs. All right, I will have one more sports story for here, and then I will move on to some lifestyle, and then we will wrap it up. So for the last... Sports story. I have one about the Super Bowl, and it does start off with a picture. It is a picture of Patrick Mahomes, who is the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, who is a team that just won the Super Bowl, um, and he is holding the Lombardi Trophy, which is like what you win when you win the Super Bowl, and everyone who wins like gets the trophy. Mm-hmm and it's a really cl- zoomed in picture and it mostly just shows the lombardi trophy and his face and the reflection of the trophy in the crowd and like him smiling and him with the hat on saying champions and like the Kansas City Chiefs logo and the headline is next hurdle for champion chiefs first super bowl 3 Pete. this was written by Josh Dubo Associated Press. The Kansas City Chiefs ended a nearly two-decade drought without a repeat champion in the NFL. Now they will go for an unprecedented three Super Bowl wins in a row. The Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers 25-22 in overtime to win the Super Bowl on Sunday, following another three-point win over Philadelphia a year ago. Kansas City became the first team since the New England Patriots in 2003-2004 to 2004 to win a comeback to back titles, ending the longest streak without a repeat champion in NFL history. The Chiefs are the ninth team to win consecutive Super Bowl titles since the game was created in 1966, season to match up the championships of the NFL and the AFL. None of the teams to win back-to-back Super Bowls even made it to the back-to-back title game following the season with three falling short in conference championship games. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh lost to the Oakland Raiders in the 1976 AFC title game after winning it all previous two seasons. San Francisco fell to the New York Giants in the 1990 NFC title game to end a three-peat bid, and Dallas lost to the 49ers four years later. The Patriots felt short, fell short in the, in the divisional round after their back-to-back championships with the Miami doing the same in, in the 1974 season. The other three-peat championships failed to f- reach the playoffs. The 1968 Green Bay Packers the 1980 Steelers, and the 1999 Denver Broncos. It's been more than two decades since any team three-peated in the NFL, NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball. The Los Angeles Lakers were the last to do it in any of those leagues, winning the NBA Finals from 2000 to 2002. The New York Yankees were the last baseball team to do it from 1998 to 2002 and the New York Landers the last in the NHL from 1980 to 1983. There's a subheading that says comeback kid. Patrick Mahomes is truly the comeback kid in the postseason after rallying the Chiefs for his third Super Bowl title in five seasons Mahomes has trailed by double digits in all three of his Super Bowl wins, also leading comebacks against the 49ers in the 2019 season and Philadelphia last season. All other quarterbacks have combined to do it all four times in 52 tries, with Tom Brady doing it in two of his seven championships and Doug Williams and Drew Brees doing it once. Mahomes engineered five double-digit comebacks in his playoff career in seven tries, one shy of Brady's career record, accomplished in 14 attempts. While Mahomes has a .714 mark in that scenario, all other quarterbacks have just a .127 mark since QB starts, starts began tracked in 1950. At age 28, Mahomes is close to catching the career playoff accomplishments of all quarterbacks other than Brady. His 15 playoff wins are one shy of Joe Montana, for second most behind Brady's 35, and he is one of five QBs with three Super Bowl wins. Brady has seven, Montana and Terry Bradshaw have four, and Troy Aikman has three. Mahomes already moved past Payne Manny into his fifth place with 41 career touchdown passes in the postseason and needs just four more to catch Montana and Aaron Rodgers for his second place. Brady leads that category with 88. There's another subheading that says Super Bowl heartbreak. Kyle Shanahan has been on the verge of winning a Super Bowl three times as either a head coach or or coordinator to only have it snatched away at the last minute. Shanahan's team has had has held a fourth quarter lead in all three trips to the title game, but have been able to hold unable to hold on to the win. He was offensive coordinator for the Atlanta in Super Bowl 51 when the Falcons blew a 28-3 second half lead and lost to the New England in overtime. Then, as head coach in San Francisco, Shanahan's 49ers blew a 10-point fourth-quarter lead in Super Bowl 54 before losing 31-20 to 20 to the Chiefs. The 49ers held a 10-point lead in the first half on Sunday and held three separate three-point leads in the fourth quarter or overtime before losing. Shanahan is the only head coach to lose two Super Bowls after leading by double digits. The chances anyone would lose all three of those games are infinitesimal. According to ESPN's win probability model, the Falcons' chances to win peaked at 99.6% while the 49ers peaked at 98.1% in the Super Bowl 54 and 87.7% this season. The odds of all three happening are about one of a 100,000. Another subheading says, just for kicks, San Francisco rookie Jake Moody's record for longest field goal in a Super Bowl lasted less than two quarters. Moody made a 55-yarder early in the second quarter for the first points in the game, only to be eclipsed by the Kansas City Harrison Butker, who hit a 57-yarder in the third quarter just 24 minutes later in game action. Moody did earn another record later when he made a 53-yarder late in regulation to become the first player to hit two field goals of at least 50 yards in the same Super Bowl. Bucker, who also kicked a 53-yarder against Tampa Bay three years ago, is the only other kicker to make two in a career. Butker is 6-for-7 on field goals of at least 50 yards in his position in his postseason career, passing Adam Vientier for the most ever in a career. Butker has also had the record with the nine career-made field goals in the Super Bowl. The seven combined field goals by Butker and Moody were also a record. This last article I'm going to be reading is about coffee and like beverages and it's called the latest buzz kind of like a little coffee pun how like caffeine gives you like a buzz and there's a bunch of pictures here of different coffee machines and there's like bags of espresso beans and coffee beans and then there's like a big espresso machine and then there's like an espresso press i believe and then just a different kinds of coffee machines and like espresso glasses. They're all very modern types stainless steel. Um, some of them are full of espresso. A lot of them are empty because they're going to be getting filled by the machines that are being used. Um, one of them is using, like, a frother to make, like, cream to put in the espresso. Uh, that's kind of, like, what's going on in the pictures here. All right, so it starts off by, this is written by Kim Cook, Associated Press. the that, dem- that demand respect. Compostable pods, high-altitude blends, high blends, and Myred-related homebrew goods that lift the senses with the familiar, fragrant waft of humble roasted bean coffee. The coffee world can't sit still. It seems, just ask Brooklyn Roasting founder and CEO Jim Munson. The coffee market shifted focus several times over the past 50 years, he says. From the convenience obsessed in industries of the 60s and 70s, think Mr. Coffee and the single origin coffee in Italian espresso drinks in the 80s and 90s to a third wave that began around 2000 of baristas working $20,000 espresso machines, precisely dialing their grinders and weighing each shot digitally, Monson says. He's getting that sense that people write now, don't really want to deal with fuss and fancy gear when brewing a cup at home. The modern coffee lover appreciates that dif- the difference of freshly roasted and ground coffee, but they don't want their morning cup to be overly complicated. He says they just want it to be delicious and sustainably sourced. One of the sub uh, the next subheading says instant love on the grab and go font front food and wines senior drinks editor oset barbara winters is noticing interest in instant coffee i'm seeing people take it more seriously maybe it's because we're traveling again or maybe it's because the tech technology has gotten better but real coffee roasters like partners coffee and blue bottle are investing in instant coffee powder she says blue bottle offers a ca- a craft espresso instant with notes of dark chocolate, molasses, and toasted malt. Their limited edition Ethiopian Samara origin instant coffee tastes of berry, toffee, and lemon. And then the last subheading I'm going to be reading is about these pods. Pod or capsule coffee's early popularity took a hit over concerns about single-use plastic waste, but makers are addressing the issue. Keurig Nespresso and others have pods made of recyclable materials. Nespresso Reground project is a collaboration with Zeta Shoes to make sneakers out of recycled Nespresso cups. Each pair is composed about 12 cups, get a free recycling bag when ordering cups, and the filled bag can be brought to any UPS drop-off station or to Williams-Sonoma, create & Barrel, or Surla Table Stores. Keurig's pods now are also made of recyclable plastic. Consumer Reports advise discarding the aluminum lid and paper filter and rinsing before recycling. Add the used grounds to your plants. Nice Cafe has partnered with TerraCycle on a recycling program. Call Nestle's customer service line to get a recycling box that you can fill and send back to them. Or consider just reusing capsules. Order a supply of foil or paper capsules lids from MyCap. They make them for the most machines. Then refill your capsules with your own coffee and seal. And that brings us to the end of today's reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for February 15th. The non-pareil can be heard each weekday at 5 p.m. I'm Ellie Robinson from Drake University in Des Moines. Thank you for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.